Colossians 3. If you are using a pew Bible, you'll find that on page 1,253. 1,253. Uh, we're in a series right now uh, on Colossians 3, 12 through 17. So as you're able, if you'll please stand for the reading of God's Word. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And I pray, Father, as we come to the preaching of it, uh, Lord, help me to say only those things that are helpful. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would use me in this time uh, to build up your people. Lord, grant us anointing and unction of the hearer and preacher alike. We ask these things in the name of Christ. Amen. Please be seated. You know, in Christ, we are new people. We're not who we once were. And now God calls us to live out whom we've become in Christ, especially in the fellowship and the community of God's people, the church. These last four weeks, we've been looking at verses 12 through 17, highlighting something that has happened to us now that we are believers. Our old sinful self, our old man, was crucified with Christ. And we have been raised to new life. This is the regenerate heart. This is being born again. And and now that we are not who we once were, God calls us not only to put off those old things, but to put on the new things. To put off continually the, the temptations of the old sinful self and how it comes naturally to us to interact with each other. And instead to pursue Christ and how He would have us to interact with each other. We've spoken thus far about having compassion and kindness, humility, meekness, patience, forgiveness, and love. You know, and each one of those things uh, is especially important in life, in how we interact with each other, in our families, your spouses, your neighbors, but, but even more so within the community of God's people, the family of God, the church. That's the context in which Paul is writing. Because here's the thing, when you get a bunch of sinners together, do you know what happens? Sin. That's what happens. Uh, Even redeemed ones, right? Even when we're fighting our own temptations and fighting our sinful flesh, we're going to sin against one another. So how are we to navigate those things? And and how are we to interact with each other and pursue um, to put on Christ as we relate one to another? It it takes work. We've been talking. It doesn't come naturally to us. Uh, It comes naturally in one way, and that it's who we are now in Christ, but that old sinful flesh, it still fights us tooth and nail every day. And so as we rely on the power of the Holy Spirit, we work hard to relate well one to another. 
This morning, um, we're going to make it through one verse, uh, one sub-point. <laughs> uh, this was supposed to be a one-week series on verses 12 through 17. Uh, we're going to be talking about peace, peace. And, and I've decided to slow down and do the whole sermon on peace because I think that inside many of us, perhaps all of us, we don't live with as much peace inside as God calls us to. And when we don't live with peace within, our, within ourselves, living out of that peace that we have with God individually, it will affect every relationship that we're a part of in your home, in your workplace, uh, where you play, uh, and in the community of God. One really great question that I would encourage you to think about as we go through this text and as you think through pursuing peace in your family, uh, the church, and your workplace, uh, will this action thought, motive, will this thing help or hurt the peace? Will it help or hurt? Because a lot of times, even things that may not be necessarily wrong will not help. That's what's called wisdom, of knowing when to say what and how to say it. We're going to be talking about that some Wednesday night, so come and join us. All right, what's our context? You'll remember that Paul is writing to a small church in a small town, a lot like ours. Uh, Colossae had once been an economic thriving power in the region, uh, but by this point had fallen on hard times. But there were two main threats that were facing the Colossian church. The first uh, was that there was a temptation of these recently converted Gentile Christians uh, to return back to their old sensual and uh, promiscuous ways of living before they were Christians. And certainly in our culture in the 21st century, that's a real struggle too for us. The second, though, was that there was a group of traveling teachers who had been promoting false views of Jesus. They were basically saying, that's great what you know about Jesus so far, but you need a little extra. You need a little bit more. Jesus isn't completely sufficient. You know, these two things, heresy and moral failure... Heresy and moral failure are two of Satan's greatest tools in attacking the church. Why? Because they disturb the peace. Satan loves it when the peace of a congregation or a family or a neighborhood or a community, whatever you want to put it in, he loves it when the peace is disturbed. You know, but peace is more than just the absence of conflict. In fact, some conflict of when different opinions are brought to the table, that actually can be very helpful because it actually gets you to where the Lord actually wants you to be. Okay, let's really pray through this. Not all conflict is bad. Uh, but a lot of times we think of peace as there's just no conflict. Well, I'm really thankful to say that when we speak of, of peace with God, that peace with God is a lot more than just not being in conflict with Him. Because that would mean that just His wrath had been removed from us and that we didn't have any spiritual blessings. Rather, biblical peace is not just the absence of conflict, but rather also the presence and fullness of life, blessed and full relationships, a deep walk with Jesus, an atmosphere and culture that glorifies God instead of individuals and is focused more on the love of God and love of neighbor than it is on love of self. It's what was had in the, in the garden before Adam and Eve messed it up for all of us. And it is what we're looking forward to when Christ comes again. That's peace. And in the, inner, inner, the, the time in between, if we're believers in Christ, we can have a large portion of that peace, even as we look forward to the final day of peace when Christ comes again. But you know, Adam and Eve disturbed the peace. 
what the Old Testament calls a shalom. They disturbed the peace, and it messed it up for all of us. You know, since then, it is the natural inclination of our hearts to desire to keep things stirred up, to pervert that which is beautiful, and quite simply to treat others with contempt. That's, that's why Paul wrote this section. He's saying, put off all this bad stuff. And don't just remove that. Put on the new stuff to pursue peace. Peace does not just happen. If we're to have peace with each other in your home, in your workplace, in your community, and at the church, it's not something that's just going to happen. It's something that we have to pursue. It's something that we have to prioritize. It's something that we have to hold precious and valuable and say this is important. You know, from my quick Google search, uh, it appears that disturbing the peace is a Class C misdemeanor in the state of Alabama. Uh, it can carry up to a $500 fine and three months in jail, but please consult your local legal professional because I don't know if that's true. But God takes more seriously the disturbing of the peace of His people because it is part and parcel of our calling as God's, peace, as God's people. Look, look again at verse 15. This is where we're going to be hanging out today. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which you indeed were called in one body, and be thankful. Paul tells us here that we were called to peace in one body. It is our calling. It is what God desires for us as the one body, the one church, and our local branch of it. We were called in peace and to peace. You know, have you ever seen on the back of those products that says, it's a violation of federal law to use this product in a manner inconsistent with its labeling. Have you seen those? You know, it just makes you want to Google, how can I use this thing? You know, what am I missing out on? It's kind of like, you know, the law tells us what sin is. Um, you especially see that on fertilizer. Why? Because fertilizer uh, can be used for such good. can make your deer plot look fantastic. And it can make your, uh, your tomatoes just so just amazing. Just that juice running down your... Oh, so good. right? Or it can be used to make a bomb. And we have within us the power to do either one of those in all the relationships we find ourselves. What we say, what we think, and what we do. But it's like our natural inclination is to make bombs rather than to use our words and our actions, our motives to serve others and to grow those relationships. Which means we have to fight not only our sinful inclination, but fight to put on peace and to pursue it. It belongs to us as believers. Romans 5.1 Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace with God. We were not peaceful with God. We wanted nothing to do with Him. We hated Him. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. Romans 5 says that we were His enemies. You don't want to be an enemy of God. And yet, what did God do? I would smite all my enemies. Instead, He smote His Son so that His enemies might become His children. And we who have received that peace with the Father, now we are to live in that peace one with another. I love uh, what one uh, commentator said. It is inconceivable 
that those who share with one another the benefits of that great peacemaking work of the cross, that they should live with any hatred or contempt for others in their hearts. How can we, how can we, who have received such forgiveness and such peace with God when we didn't deserve it, nor really even want it, until God made us desire it? How can we then in turn turn around and treat others with contempt? And yet we do. And so Paul says, repent of that and put on peace. Pursue peace. You know, we, while peace is ours in Christ, both personally and together as a congregation, we have to fight to make it ours. Remember, our thesis for this series is, in Christ we are new people. We are not who we once were. Now God calls us to live out whom we become in Christ, especially in the community of God's people. You know, so Paul tells the Colossians, and the Lord tells us, it's God's word, Holy Spirit inspired, that we are to let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. That's a great word, rule. What rules your heart? What rules it today? Did you, how did you wake up this morning? Did you wake up being ruled by another? Or ruled by bitterness? Or ruled by hatred? Or ruled by a, a, a failure to forgive? Those things are not to rule our hearts. Christ is to rule our hearts. The peace of Christ is to rule our hearts. In fact, the the Greek word here, rule, actually refers to being a referee. When when two uh, wrestlers were wrestling, who was the one who decided? It was the referee. Jesus is the referee. Let the peace of Christ be the determining factor in our relationships one with another. You know, here's the thing. We will only have peace within our relationships if we first have peace in our hearts. If we do not have peace within our own hearts, we will not bring peace to the table in our relationships. And so, first, we have to do business within our own hearts. Are there areas of my life that I am not pursuing peace? Individually, we are at peace with God if we're Christians. If you're not a Christian and you're here, I'm so glad you're here. You've made my day. Not even kidding about that. And I'd love to tell you more about uh, Jesus. Um, And you should know that in Christ, there is peace available between you and God, your maker and your judge. Uh, Christ has paid the penalty for our sins. And if we repent of our sins and put our faith in Christ, then we can be brought to peace with the living God and He will be our Father. And we will be with Him forever, not only now, but also in eternity. But until then, there is no true peace. Only believers can have true peace because peace belongs to the Prince of Peace. He is the owner, dispenser, and master of peace. And it is only in relationship with Him that we can have peace. Now here's the thing. Believers, we have enemies of peace in our life. If you're a believer... Uh, that doesn't mean that the struggle isn't real. It is. Have you ever had those seasons of struggle when you just have unrest in your souls? I have. I, I want to briefly talk about some, some enemies of personal peace. Um, God calls us to rest. In fact, Hebrews says we've entered already into that rest. One of the greatest enemies of personal peace is, um, is false guilt. It's wondering if your sins have really been forgiven. Every believer struggles that 
at some point in their lives or at some level, perhaps all the time. That's normal. Is there something in your past that you did or maybe was done to you uh, that you feel like you need to repent of, you need to ask forgiveness for a thousand times? Did I really, did I really say it? Okay, fine. Did it work that time? Let me try again. Have, have you ever done that? If we're in Christ, we have peace with our past. We might have things we need to work through in our past. A lot of times there's great hurt that we need help working through. Uh, let's talk. I'd love to help you and direct you towards that help. But Christ has dealt with your past. Christ has dealt with your sin. And we know that straight from Jesus. We know that straight from God's Word. Do you remember what Romans 8 1 says? That there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. None. Zip. Not a zilch. It's gone. That when our hearts struggle and think, am I really forgiven? For every, one of the Puritans once said, for every one look at yourself, give ten looks to Jesus. I love that line. Because He is our hope, not ourselves, not our performance. Not if I've failed and, and fallen back into that this week and I just feel so bad about it. And you should feel bad about it. Repent of your sins and ask Christ to forgive you. And He will. He is faithful and just to forgive your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. But Jesus has dealt with it. You know, the second greatest threat that, that I could think of to experiencing the inner peace that we have in Christ is by making peace with sin. When we make peace with sin and tolerate sin in our lives, you should not expect to have a peaceful life. You should not. You should not expect blessings on your relationships. You should not expect God to bless what you're doing. You shouldn't expect to be healthy emotionally. I'm not talking struggling with sin. We all struggle with sin. If someone says they don't have sin, then they're a liar. 1 John 1 tells us that. Uh, rather, the wholesale giving in to sin. When we're living in patterns of sin and have no intentions of leaving, then God robs us of that peace and He does it as a father does. This is what He did to David. This is what He did to David. He said, David wrote in Psalm 32, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. Through my groaning all day long, for day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. David, a man after God's own heart, wrote so many psalms. Such a godly man. But you know this really big spot. You know what I'm talking about, right? When he committed adultery with Bathsheba and then killed Uriah. And it was not like an overnight kind of thing. It seemed to last about a year or so. And then he wouldn't confess. And then Nathan finally had to go to him and say, Hey, look, you dummy. You're the man. Repent. And David, by his own admission, was miserable in that year. Because God's holy, heavy hand was upon him. That he might be restored. That he might run to Jesus. That he might experience peace in his life again. There are many reasons we shouldn't live in unrepentant sin. Many, many, many reasons. But emotionally, experientially, one of the biggest is that we will not have any peace in our life. But what peace it is. You've experienced this, right? I know I have. I know I have. When, when you come clean, 
and you admit your faults to God, and you turn from your sin, and you ask for help, and there's just that overwhelming sense of peace, and you know again the forgiveness of your Lord and God. He loves you, and He desires you to walk in peace. A third great enemy to peace uh, is just simply harboring bitterness. You know, we spoke last week about the command to forgive. It's not an option. It is not an option. Let me say that again. It's not an option. The Bible says you must forgive. Now, sometimes you forgive and then you wake up the next day and you've got to forgive again. I've been there. I bet you have too. I forgive this person. And then 20 minutes later, oh, don't forgive that person. So I have to forgive him again, Right? But we must forgive. There's great, you know, lack of forgiveness uh, leads to bitterness. And there's great cost to refusing to forgive someone who sinned against you. It will eat you alive. I heard a, a, a proverb this week. It's, it's not from Scripture. It's a common saying. And it said that um, anger, and we'll say sinful anger, sinful anger is like acid in a container that does more harm to the container than the person that it's poured out on. You're just holding that acid inside you. It will keep you from having true rest. You'll be caught up in that cycle of thoughts when all you can think about is that person, that situation, that hurt. Y'all, we're not victims of what we think. Let me tell you that. Let me say it again. We are not victims of what we think. We are the instigators. And by the Holy Spirit, we can and have to fight that. And bitterness will eat you alive not living at peace with others and saying, I'm not going to do anything, that will eat you alive. A great question to ask yourself along this line of thought is, will this lead to greater peace in my heart or less? You know, forgiving others and putting away bitterness, it probably will cost you something. True peace is costly because our peace with God costs God His Son. And there are often times that peace will cost you your pride. There are times when living at peace with others will mean that you have to be the one to take the first step. There are times when living at peace with others that you'll have to let things go when you were right. What's more important? Being right or the relationship? We've got to let go of bitterness. In your families, in your workplaces, do do you have neighbors? Do you have neighbors that, uh, I know one individual, not a member of our church. Let me say that real quick. And uh, every time I bring up neighbor, he tells me what his current neighbor is doing against him. You know? um, is there a neighbor that you need to forgive? Uh, and, and it might mean that you're not going to win that dispute. In your family, in your church. Because here's the thing. We wronged Jesus. He was the wronged party. And what did he do about it? He paid for the wrongs that we had done against him, that we might have the peace with him. Well, inner peace within ourselves leads to inner peace in relationship. Let's talk about the context of the church here. Um, one commentator put it this way, when Christ... Rules in the heart, his peace will rule in the fellowship. 
You know, the problem facing the Colossian church is that there are those who were coming in with false teaching, and their agenda had nothing to do with the agenda of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know what happens when God's agenda and our agenda um, clash? Do you know who wins? You can think about it and get back to me later if you want. Uh, But it's Jesus. Jesus is going to win every time, right? He's king. We're not. Um, And so they came in, and they caused a lot of trouble. They were disturbing the peace. Uh, And one of the things to remember in the pursuing peace in the local congregation is that we're pursuing the Lord's agenda and not our own. That's a big one to remember. Okay, what does Jesus want here? What is good for Jesus' body uh, rather than my own desires? Uh, That's really important in that we are called to remember the purpose and nature of the church. There's no other institution like the church. Uh, You know, when you go to get an appraisal done for your home, what do they do? They look at comparables. And they'll go look at a house, you know, similar square footage and similar neighborhood. And then they'll say, okay, your house is worth this because these other houses sold for this much money. You know, there's nothing to do that with for the church. There's no analog. There's nothing comparable. No other institution, not even marriage and not even the government, those won't and nothing else will survive the second coming of Christ. But the church will. It has always existed and it always will for all of eternity. We will have a king in heaven, but we won't have government. He's the king. We won't have marriage, Uh, but we will have the church. There's no other institution like the church, which means that we can't compare the church to anything. And we have to come to the church with the expectations of what Scripture says rather than what the world says. You know, on Wednesday nights we have food, but we're not a restaurant. Uh, We have programs for children and youth, right? But we're not a daycare, we're not a summer camp. We have this wonderful building, but you know what happened to the church if the building went away? We'd be very sad. We'd get a nice insurance check. And we'd continue to thrive because the church in the building is the people of God, right? We deal with money every week, but we're not a business. We have leaders called elders and deacons, but they aren't chosen because they're resumes. We're live on Facebook each week, but we're not a broadcast company. We do a lot of things, but what are we? We're the bride of Christ. We're the bride of Christ, the church of God, the redeemed of the Lord, the chosen and beloved ones of the Savior, And the church is God's chosen instrument to advance His kingdom, to bring lost sinners to salvation, and to give hope to the hopeless. It's a place that exists only because of the grace, mercy, and providence of God, and not because we want it to. It bears witness here on Belleville Avenue because God said it would before He created the world. It has been entrusted with the ministry of the Word and sacraments, and no one else has, because Jesus is our only hope in this life and the next. It's like nothing else around. And so when we come to the church, we come, we need to come to the church with the expectations uh, and an agenda of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the king. He is the head of the church. He is our bishop. He's the bishop and overseer of our souls. And he desires the health and the peace and the purity of his church. Which means also that we're not a country club. We're not a country club. Now, we have a great country club in town. Uh, if, if you play golf, they have a great golf course. They have tennis courts and, and they have a swimming pool uh, belong to the club. Fantastic. But, you know, we're not, we're not a country club. Uh, you know, in a country club, you pay so that others can serve you. And that's nice. But in, in the church, Christ has paid that we might serve him and each other. And that brings different expectations of the church. And one of the things that means is that we pursue the health of the church and the flourishing of the church as we use our gifts. 
You know, we said earlier that, that peace does not just happen. It's something that we have to pursue. And we pursue the peace of the church by um, using the family gifts that God has given to His family for the flourishing of the family. One of the things that I love about this fall is how many people we have stepping up to do new things. I'm just thrilled. Uh, we have new classes for our Sunday schools for the children and um, on Wednesday nights. And we have a whole host of new teachers on the rotation to help with that. Uh, we have more folks leading music on Wednesday nights downstairs. Uh, the youth, uh, our youth director, uh, Kyle Hilliard, whom we love, even though he left us. Uh, you know, he has left us, and so we have more people stepping up for that. We have people using their gifts Pursuing the peace and blessing and the flourishing of local congregation. Praise be to God. Thank you for that. Finally, let me just say this. That one of the things that is vitally important to the peace and purity of the local church is how we use our speech. One of the greatest lies you'll ever hear is that sticks and stones may break my bones, but words may never hurt me. You know, the thing is, sticks and stones will, will break bones and they'll heal in about a month or two. Words can hurt for generations. Words can hurt for generations. We're going to be talking about speech and how we're to use our speech this Wednesday. But let me just give you Ephesians 4.29, which we shared with the kids. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give peace to those who hear. So we have the ability to grace others, to help and to hurt with our speech as we pursue the peace of Christ and His church. Let us be careful about how we use our words. Let me close by saying that if you're a Christian, uh, it is a wonderful and powerful thing to be at peace with God and praise God for it. Uh, You're at peace with God because of the great words that Christ spoke on the cross when He said in John 19, it is finished. What was finished? He was finished with paying the penalty for those who had broken the peace like you and me. He was restoring peace to God's people that we would look on the Prince of Peace and in believing in Him, we might have peace with God and each other forever. Um, You know, if we're in Christ though, we're looking forward to and we're hurtling towards uh, another day and it's a day in which the peace of God will fully and finally rule not only in His people but of all creation. When Christ comes again in power as conquering King, as our Lord and Savior, uh, He will bring about a great kingdom of peace. And so we pray, O Lord, haste the day when the faith shall be sight and the clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend. Even so it is well with my soul. Let's pray. And so, Father, we pray um, that you would help us to pursue peace in every area of our lives. Uh, Individually, that we would live at peace with you, having been the recipients of peace by Christ. And that we would pursue peace in our families, in our marriages, with our parents, with our children, uh, where we work, where we live, where we play, and especially in the context of your people. We pray these things in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen. We will conclude our service by standing and singing 493, It Is Well With My Soul.